So I chose this film because it was the first one I ever watched where I kind of saw myself, mm. um, you know, represented. That word is so overused now, but it's true. I think when I watched it, um, and funnily enough, it was my dad who was like, I think you would like this film. And I was like, yeah, whatever, dad, <laughs> like, you know, and then I watched it and I was like, oh, I like this. <laughs> and I did recognize a lot of myself in, um, yeah, just that world. Cause I grew up in Southern California and then um, I moved to the East Bay in Northern California. So yeah. that sort of suburban track housing and just how you're so bored and, and mm. also just the complexity of the Asian characters mm. for the first time really resonated with me because I think up until that point, like what else had I watched? I'd watched like the Joy Luck Club and yeah. I don't know what else. They were like Kung Fu movies or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think it was the first film that I was like, Oh, you know, we're not just caricatures on TV and on the screen, you know. Welcome back to Open Form. I'm Michael Denzel Smith. Ben is, frankly, a fairly uninteresting teenage boy. A straight A student with desires to attend an Ivy League college. He also works hard to perfect his free throw shooting so he can hopefully make the basketball team. And he has a crush on a popular cheerleader. In his spare time, he runs a small time money making scam with his friends that hardly seems worth it. But after making his basketball dreams come true, Ben is dismayed by an article in the school newspaper that turns him into a cause celebre. He's the only Asian player on the team, but sees little to no playing time. The attention agitates him into quitting, at which point he devotes himself to the crime family he and his friends begin building, first by selling test answers and eventually moving up to drug sales. This week's film is Better Luck Tomorrow, and was chosen by Elaine Shea Chow, author of the recently released novel, Disorientation. And then even though it came out 20 years ago, I was talking uh, with a friend recently and and we were talking about how a lot of it still feels really relevant mm. compared to newer media about Asian Americans <laughs> so it's like I don't know I also you know want to talk about like what happened in those 20 years because after Better Luck Tomorrow and like Saving Face that I think came out around the same time it's like this should have been our shot like we should have then had just a bunch of more Asian American films come out, but instead there was honestly like not a lot in those 20 years. I think weirdly it went backwards in some ways. Um, so yeah, that's why I think this film was just really special and um, to this day, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what happens is they give you a little and then they snatch it away. <laughs> it just yeah. happens so quickly. <laughs> I can tell right. you, like we get into sort of like these boom bust cycles of quote unquote representation, right? It's like, yeah. there's suddenly, like I can remember, you remember the late nineties and the whole like Latin invasion, right? <laughs> Where it was, it was like, oh, here's Ricky Martin and Jennifer Lopez yeah. and Mark Anthony. Like they have all, they're all successful at one time. And then there was nothing, right? Like it, it just ended, nothing. right? Um, and and it was yeah. like, oh, it was just three of them that were successful <laughs> as like Latinx people. Like that was it. And but right. like, it it sort of like satiates 
like some white guilt and then they're mm-hmm. done for a long time right they're like we did our our duty you know you can't accuse us of not liking the asians or something and then yeah for 20 yeah. years and we're just back to being caricatures and yeah um, they just straight up gave our roles to Scarlett Johansson and <laughs> Emma Stone and Tilda Swinton. So it's like, okay, this is where we at, we're at. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, when you say uh, you related to Better Like Someone, I found myself, like, that was my initial reaction. I was just like, man, I feel like Ben or like felt like Ben as, mm. as a teenager. Like definitely didn't get into the things that Ben got into, but it was that that suburban boredom that like leads you to acting out in certain ways, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, there's, there's the combination of just like the suburbs in itself, just being this place of total monotony, uh and like homogenous culture that like, that then if you were an outsider to like white suburban culture or like and made to feel like an outsider to it creates mm-hmm. even more anxiety in you and I think like Ben is going through all of those things and I was like yeah I felt that quite a bit inside of me as a teenager yeah yeah for sure me too I think um I didn't do any murdering, that's a spoiler, (laughs) I guess, but I was, I, like Ben, I think what was really accurate is just how a lot of um, Asian Americans and maybe other POC, you just lead a double life from what your family Mm -hmm. thinks is happening, so I just got so good at lying Mm -hmm. um, to my parents, where they just, and, and I think a lot of the adults around me, because they have these assumptions that Asian Americans are are obedient and like quiet and and so I was getting away with so much shit and I was you know I was cheating I actually did get caught but somehow (laughs) managed to like get get out of it Mm. um I got caught yes shoplifting and I was kept shoplifting up until basically a little after I turned 18 and a friend got caught and I was like oh fuck okay once you're 18 oh yeah once you're 18 there's real consequences right um yeah sneaking out and just hanging out with people like probably older guys I should not have been hanging out with but all of that just felt so true in that there are no parents in the film which I find fascinating. I was just about to ask you right. about to bring that because up. Yeah. Almost all Asian American media now is so family-centric mm-hmm. and it's almost like always half of it is in Asia anyways like Crazy Rich Asians or The Farewell and this there still isn't just a lot of like Asian American mm-hmm. media and I thought it was accurate that yeah, we have families and we have those issues, but there's this whole other life you lead where you you get so good at hiding <laughs> your your sort of real life from your parents. And I was just like, like the, it was sort of scary how good I got at lying. And I could, even when my dad would some, sometimes like catch me on the way out, like I was just mm-hmm. getting so sloppy. <laughs> where he'd be awake and I'd be like it's 10 p.m but I'm I'm going like I'm sneaking out and when he caught me I would just always figure out a way to get out of it it was so I feel like that's what happens to Ben it's you start getting too comfortable with like well no one catches is catching me and there's no consequence so I'll just keep going and going and going yeah. um 
Yeah. Yeah, on that point of like I was gonna bring up the the thing about there not being parents here because like what you're talking about in terms of like Asian American representation in mm. film and television and stuff, I feel like so much of it when there is some, right? focuses on like the idea like you mentioned joy luck club like the idea so much is about like the disconnect between generations and mm -hmm. those like attempting to pass down tradition versus like the those who are trying to americanize and like the tension that exists between those those mm -hmm. two and it's it's as if to again uh, again emphasize the outsiderness right like the idea that mm. there's that like oh there's there's just a, a sense that we never belong but like here's just teenagers like just being teenagers yeah there's a whole ecosystem and and sort of hierarchy amongst the asians mm. and so that's what's cool it's it's also there's not really that tension of it's us against the white kids you know there's mm. that scene mm. at the party with the the jocks but besides that you get the sense that there is just this asian community at this uh high school and that was very real too in that um especially all over california you have a lot of schools that are majority asian and they like what is considered popular is so different um like i have friends who at their school the most popular people were the ones who could speak their mother tongue with like the best fluency. <laughs> and there were no like really white popular kids just because there were so few of them. <laughs> and it's, yeah, so it's, it's again, another, I think really real aspect of um, having pressures and competition with each other, mm. but we're not always thinking about white people we're not always just like considering ourselves against them like we have our own problems with each other and, you know yeah getting that freedom to like explore those dynamics absent the idea that white people are at the center of of your life right like I yeah. think that that's the thing that that doesn't get considered when we're talking about like representation as as it like proliferates in it currently is like the media that appeals to white people in the in those mm -hmm. scenarios is the thing that centers them right and like centers poc like reactions to white people's existence and this is yes. like this film you know is very much just about like here are these asian american teenagers who are bored by suburbia and like still existing with the pressures of like being teenagers, being on the cusp of adulthood and applying to college and stuff like that. But that's it, right? Like that is their world. And how are they navigating that? They're not concerned, like, like you say, there's an incident of like the, the white guy at the party saying the racist shit, but like otherwise, like white people don't really factor into yeah. their internal world. It's amazing. And when they're referenced, they, when they reference white people, I love it in that it's just in a way that is very natural to them. Like, mm. um, you know, John Cho's secret white girlfriend, yeah. they just call her Barbie <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, I, it's just, yeah, you feel the gaze is different, mm. right? Like when you watch this film, it's just, you understand this was, um, Justin Lin was not making it 
so that it would be palatable or even comprehensible to a white audience, which mm. is so refreshing and different. And it, and again, I'm just like, what's what's going on now? <laughs> and even in 2022, because I feel like, um, especially, I don't know with, uh, I'm just gonna sound like I'm making so many generalizations, you know, but I, I don't know why a lot of Asian American media just feels like it's still considering that white gaze. Whereas I feel like, Black cinema and TV, like Atlanta, for a long time, it just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> and then you get shows like Atlanta that are so subversive and, um, you know, like, I think it's that, that lack of compromise, that mm -hmm. uncompromising vision that makes something great. And you can feel just and then like really didn't want to compromise. And the original, I think, producers or funders or whatever, they really pressured him to change all the characters to white characters. Wow. Yep. Then, it's not, then the story is nothing. <laughs> like, it's I'm, nothing. Thank <laughs> you. Like, the story is nothing if they're all white. <laughs> I know. It really bothers me because it, it, it erases, like, uh, also this idea that we are not model minorities. We are mm -hmm. human like everyone else. And so we fuck up and we make you know, bad decisions. And um, I think that pressure to make these characters white, because this is based on, or, you know, loosely inspired on uh, by a real murder. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like that those sort of decisions to whitewash something, it's, it's also refusing to believe Asian Americans can be a certain way. And it's like, I think media so much of it is a statement about what the world is like and what it should be like. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you guys aren't cool. <laughs> you guys can't do cool murder stuff. No, I'm, just, I'm not <laughs> calling murder cool, but yeah. <laughs> oh man. I would say to the to the idea of like the comparison to the sort of like black media, I think mm. it's it is taken a long time to get there and it's also gone through a bunch of different waves and like right. that sort of like uncompromising and like make it for black people it's like yeah and then black media sort of disappears and then mm. like oh what if we make stuff that white people will understand and then there's a proliferation and then it's profitable and then they take those profits and funnel it into more white people stuff like and, and, right. and just like I think there's just there there's uh, a way in which things get co-opted or ignored that like just don't fit neatly, and that I think you know what what we're seeing right now is the, is the sort of pushback to the long-standing <laughs> ways in which Asian Americans have been represented in like Hollywood for like I mean just in despicable ways and there's like okay now here's the pushback but the pushback is all about like convincing white people and you have like this blip mm. moment of better luck tomorrow where it's like what if we made something for us and it's like oh yeah that's great but not what we're focusing on right now <laughs> <laughs> right they're like we're we need to be the center of the universe that's you're so true that art gets 
art gets distorted if it is in a lot of ways a, a, an argument like like you say convincing trying to mm -hmm. convince someone of your own humanity because it's like if that's where we're starting if the baseline is like i'm a human too <laughs> it's like the, then the film like where can you go from that you can maybe rise like an inch above it but you can't explore the all the other nuances and trickiness because you've you've already you know made the stakes so incredibly like just brought them down so that um yeah i really want us to get out of that space and i think what is hard is just like white creators white producers i mean the executives are still mostly white so it's like they still hold the purse strings and i think that's what's so hard and it makes sense like when i was looking at the history of how better luck um tomorrow was made it was basically barely made like he mm. met mc hammer like <laughs> ran so into wild. mc hammer right this maybe like, the wildest part of this i whole know film. right like <laughs> in vegas like pitched himself you know he read the script and and got the last 10k that he said save the film that it would not have been made um, and it's and it just shows that it's like studios and stuff they're happy after the fact like after something mm -hmm. is done well they're like yeah yeah we, we stand by this look at us we're so progressive yes. but they are fighting you every step of the way to not do it right to make no to make these characters white and yeah, yeah. Um, it's so, so the point, frustrating to the point that you got to hit up MC Hammer post bankruptcy MC Hammer <laughs> ten thousand dollars yeah like mc hammer i thank you like thank you for like on behalf of the asian american <laughs> he gets a little plaque in, like the hall of fame <laughs> oh, uh, i want to talk a little bit about stephanie though in Ooh. this movie i think you know it's it's sort of always this issue right where i think the the initial shot of like representation or we're going to tell our stories is always male centric right like and it's just mirrors all of these these other power dynamics and, and uh i i don't know that she got it like it's clear she's a central character but she just doesn't get fully fleshed out in a way that like her interior matters to her so much as it matters to her relationship to Ben. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's, we're so closely tied to Ben's POV that mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, yeah, he is only seeing her as just a girl he likes that I don't know she's pretty mm -hmm. um there there's tiny moments where I wonder if this was Justin Lin being very conscious of I need to give her something so you know we find out she's mm -hmm. adopted yeah and there they have like a couple conversations very brief about about that which I think again like that is so that was just very rare to see like mm -hmm she's Asian and her last name was like Vanderbosch or something like the most like white East coast wasp name. Yeah. Um, but this is, I mean, there are lots of Asian people with like white last names that we don't, we just don't often see that. And um, so I wonder, yeah, if that was his attempt, but I think 
largely overall in terms of what is it the Bechdel? Beck, I can never remember how to pronounce it. The test. Oh, I've, I've um, never learned how to pronounce her name. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think the the film passes because uh, there aren't really other Asian women. Like they're like very, very, very minor. They don't it's have speaking Stephanie. roles. Right. There, right. No other Asian women have speaking roles. Yeah. So we never see Stephanie alone with another Asian mm. um, friend. And um, yeah, so I think that part was very, yeah, undeveloped. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just one of those things where that like it stands out so much more in mm. uh, like like you're saying, it's it's something that feels like it's relatable, right? Like all of that stuff, but it's like, but then why why is the effort not made to incorporate? Like I know I'm not I'm saying this as someone that's like, yeah, you can't tell every single story in everything. Like true, but there's so much space given to this group of male friends that mm. like she's just sort of shoehorned in here in this way that's only in relation to them. It's like you could have divided this film up in, in like, or you know what I mean? Like she could have gotten her own story. And I get that mm. it's also based on like real life events, but, but it's just that creative license like just let her have her story that's not tied to these guys mm. yeah yeah so true um and I would have loved to know just like what she really saw in Steve you mm. know her <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah and she I also was thinking about how she's you know I think did a great job um the actress in the role for sure. But when you think about all the characters, I, I mean, none of them besides John Cho really went on to have big careers. Mm -hmm. And John Cho, I think, I mean, he just really, I think, had a fight tooth and nail, like even to this day, just mm -hmm. um, it was right. I mean, he's getting recognition now, but it's been a long time that he's been in this yeah. business. And um, it is like, I think it's just telling about Hollywood, you know, that you can have uh, a film that did do really well and won like all these awards at Sundance, but those Asian actors weren't skyrocketed up to any sort of, you know, new opportunities. But if this had been a white film, like those actors surely would have, we would have seen that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think it is really that that also was just frustrating to see an Asian American actress um and then just what happened to her it like she, it just <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that just speaks to like the that period right then it's like what kind of opportunities would she have been afforded like if any and it's the the, the making of those decisions and it's like well you, you don't really want to go like like think about John Cho's tra trajectory there like he still had to and so like he had to sort of create like Harold and Kumar to be able mm. To be like to break away from any like of the stereotypical roles that would be offered to him. Absolutely, yeah. That's the other thing about getting work. It's like 
they might be offered roles, but they'll often be secondary roles or mm -hmm. just dehumanizing where they're like, do this accent that you don't have, right. <laughs> which I think is just so out of line to demand that of, of an actor. Um, yeah. And uh, so you sacrifice like not getting roles, but for the sake of your own dignity. And then there's the whole argument of actors who did do those roles or maybe they did do an accent or they did play a stereotypical character and they're like their defense is well I have to survive in this system mm. so it's just like you can't win yeah. right <laughs> like either you're a traitor to your <laughs> you to your people or you're considered um you know like a survivor I don't know it's it's hard um but again, yeah, I guess I just feel, I feel a bitterness, you know what I mean? When I just think about this film and Saving Face and just sort of angry that so much time was wasted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Elaine, what's one lasting image from Better Luck Tomorrow that sticks with you? Mm, um, I will say, I think it's Virgil's scene it's after the party where they start beating up that jock mm -hmm. and Virgil's in the car crying. Mm. And I think rewatching the film now, it's been a few times. I, I think his character is one of the most complex mm. Asian American char characters ever written. Mm. You know, he's, he's flawed. He's frustrating. It's so easy to write him off as just immature and kind of annoying. And mm. we're sort of introduced to him that way. I think that scene and of course at the end he he tries to commit suicide and I got to ask you what you think happened to him because watching it this time I was like oh my god I think I've I don't know if we're being told a clue but anyways we'll come back to that um but I think that scene in the car where he first is just like so hyped up you know he's like that was amazing and then it just so naturally and organically even on his face you see him like La he's like smiling but then he just starts to cry and then he just starts crying and he's like my dad's gonna kill me I'm gonna go to juvie but then he seems weirdly happy and devastated it's just such an affecting scene and I think it offered that character a lot of depth um that was would be easy to not give him right like his character could have just been ridiculous the entire film but um that scene just it's it's so heartbreaking yeah and you get that sense of like I cannot come back from what I've just did you know it's like I've lived my life not hurting another human I have now yeah. I can't ever walk back from that you know yeah that's so beautifully put <laughs> well do you think he died at the end so I'm curious what clues you're, you're picking up on about okay. what they tell you. Well, so, you know, the, the hospital scene for so long, when the hospital scene is very brief, I was just like, oh, he's alive. This is mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Then last night <laughs> I was watching, um, you know, the yearbook photos at the end, mm. Han has shaved his head. And I was like, yes. fuck, I think that's a Korean tradition of mourning oh i think i'm not sure oh maybe i should before i blab my mouth i'm not <laughs> korean but i um 
and, and so I, I was immediately like, oh my God, wait, is that that tiny sign that he's, huh. that, that's what happened to him? Because Han also just looks so depressed and in, in that yearbook yeah. photo and Virgil isn't there. So we could argue, oh, Virgil's in the hospital still, so he can't make his yearbook photo. Sure. But, but I don't know, just his shaved head. I was like, ah, is oh. that what it means? Um, I, 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 would, I, I would not have made that connection. But I, I yeah like Han shaving his head seemed like okay I just been through some shit <laughs> like and I just need a fresh yeah. start for, but I yeah oh wow I mean that's the thing is like I didn't think he was going to survive <laughs> like I, I had no mm. no idea like and the the idea that he like called someone right like he calls Han to come over oh, and like oh that yeah that kills me it's but... heartbreaking right, right. and it's and... it's to to what you were saying about him being so much more complex than a little shithead that he like could really <laughs> come across as he's like these feelings of like doing all of the like he's at a breaking point when they've killed someone right like they yeah right because he's the one who holds gotta hold jo- yeah steve down and that scene the way it's shot because it's like this long shot of just the mm-hmm. camera turns mm-hmm. and and the whole time like virgil you know you see him just trying to he doesn't want to touch he doesn't want to no. feel him die but every spasm of death that like steve mm-hmm. is going through is what virgil feels and he's clearly like out of everyone he's a sensitive one you know you get the sense that like he if he could he'd probably just like raise i don't know um baby ducks and like have a garden I don't know I just feel like that's probably the life he wants but he just wants to be accepted and yeah. and get Hans's approval um that yeah he he uh yeah I'm glad you agree that yeah his character is just so moving and complex and and that actor finally reappeared in one of the Fast and Furious movies not oh. the most recent one. What was it? The most recent one? I just remember I I like haven't seen most of them. But then one day it was just I was like I want to watch a movie. Don't know what to watch. Oh, like Fast and the new Fast and Furious is playing, and I saw him in it, and I was just really? like, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You know, Justin like brought him yeah. back. I'm sure they kept in touch. And and Han, the actor who plays Han, is in way more of the Fast and Furious. Like he he's like a main pretty main character I think but um yeah I also was like what happened to him he was so good and better look tomorrow he should have been offered it like a damn Oscar so you know like but of course of course that didn't happen of course it didn't but so my Fast and Furious Fast and Furious is one of those pop culture phenomenons where I have a hole of knowledge because I just like haven't seen any since like the first one and maybe yeah. and I, I like went on a date with for like the fifth one when it came out or something yeah. and I was just like I haven't seen any of these and she was like it doesn't matter <laughs> um, um but what I did when looking up this film is that I that uh apparently Han's character is in those Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. So now Better Luck Tomorrow is sort of like his origin story for yes. the Fast and Furious. Yeah, which is so cool. Yeah, yeah. So like the world sort of collide. Yeah. Um, 
yeah and he and that and that actor gosh i need to know his name but yeah he's incredible so mm-hmm. it's nice that you see these there there were there is a legacy of this film yeah. and um yeah i just hope i hope its existence is something that can like reassure these producers and execs that are always so nervous to be like you know these stories they don't have to revolve around family necessarily mm-hmm. or this and yeah yeah just like you say this trope of um I'm in between <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, yeah you know because it's it's like yeah it's it's been written about a lot and but we have all these other stories and even like a story I would really love to see is um you know how oh my gosh what's his name Derek yeah Derek's character lives alone mm-hmm. and it's sort of like a throwaway fact but there's um this phenomenon called parachute kids where uh mostly wealthy parents they just like they want their kid to have an American education so then it's like oh it's easier for them to get into an ivy league or something and so they just send their kid to live alone um and often with these several other kids with a guardian or sometimes there's not even a guardian and so in 2015 there was a case where this really bad like severe violent bullying case came out of Roland Heights Mm. in Southern California so there's like a very very Asian neighborhood um and a group of these girls parachute kids were essentially torturing like physically torturing another asian girl parachute kid and it was oh. yeah it was like lord of the flies oh. and i was so fascinated but because it was again this story that had nothing to do with white kids or white people like it was this this subsection of um you can be the same you can literally be like from the same country speak the same language but like look you know this stuff could still happen and um something like that it's like I would love to watch that movie (laughs) yeah yeah I'm I'm you're gonna write it Elaine What is your all-time favorite film? Okay, so you won't judge me, right? <laughs> this, this is a judgment-free zone. This is a judgment-free zone. Now, when I was thinking about this, this question, I was like, I feel like, like, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, I should say that, uh, like, an artsy, I don't know, <laughs> Taiwanese film to really make myself sound cool and um no I want the real I want the real (laughs) I was like probably and I admire so many so many different films but I'm like probably my favorite film is the one I watched the most Mm -hmm. throughout the years over and over Mm -hmm. and that is Clueless (laughs) I mean wow I wouldn't judge that that's a classic it's a it is a classic right I feel like also it has aged very well mm-hmm. like in all the times I watch it you know it's like really come you're sort of waiting for that one problematic moment yeah um and like respect to Summer you know Summer's character she's an Asian yeah she doesn't have a big role at all but it is just refreshing that she's like just a teen in it she's not yeah. made to be 
like act in whatever you know stereotypical way she's just like a cute um teen and very refreshing that I can watch a film that I loved as a kid and not feel guilty or sort of like I'm betraying my people because I get really Such mad a rare thing. exactly I honestly I'm not gonna lie I like hold it against people when they're like my favorite film is Breakfast at Tiffany's and I'm like mm-hmm. that that film is inexcusable yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I'm sorry how can you yeah. enjoy something with like the most disgusting yellow face I just don't yeah. think we can know each other anymore (laughs) um but yeah it's just like one of those films where if you're in a bad mood or you're just sad like I think it you know it always makes me smile yeah yeah it's great it's great (laughs) uh and last question what film best captures the idea of family for you yeah so this was tricky for me um because I think there's there's maybe a few a couple, but I, I've mentioned Saving Face before, mm-hmm. um, and that film also is one of the first ones I saw where just the relationship between the daughter and the mom felt really real. In that, mm-hmm. like, there's a scene where they just half speak in English, half in Mandarin. And, and the daughter sort of like switches in between, like she, it just, you know, she can speak some Mandarin, but sometimes she just has to say something in English. Like it's such an organic small detail, Mm -hmm. but it's so real to my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, just, just a small moment like that. And just sort of their general relationship, which is, it is very tender, um, but complicated yeah so maybe maybe that one (laughs) um it's hard to say right yeah I think it's hard to say because it's like um I think people who who maybe aren't don't have the same family dynamics or something then you worry like oh everyone will just say think like this film represents family it's just a burden of representation, right? It's like <laughs> the burden I would like to cast away. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that film is is lovely. If have you seen it? I have not. not okay, seen. check it out. It's I would, um, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's very charming and and also just really well done. And another film that should have yeah skyrocketed like more of those actors. Um, and I found out Will Smith was a producer. So Will Smith also got, you know, needs to be added to the Hall of Fame. Thank you for supporting American art. Like, you know, I mean, let's be honest, not surprising that these were not like white, you know, creators and producers. Um, yeah. 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 So I I appreciate that. Oh, Elaine, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Michael. This is so fun. Thanks for listening to Open Forum, a podcast from Lit Hub Radio, produced by Eliza Smith and Justin Alvarez, and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for the Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. If you're enjoying what you hear, Share open form with a friend or on social media. 
Next week, the magic and childlike wonder of a Totoro.